Sunday, Risen Part 1. Isn't it interesting that in this information age, right, we got the interwebs, the internet, the, the, the information highway, whatever you want to call it, in this age of information, it's harder than ever to figure out what is true, right? We have more information at our fingertips than ever before. And if you think about that logically, you know, we could conclude that our ability as people to discern truth from error should be better. But I almost feel that the more information that we have, um, the, the worse we get at it. Because it's just so hard to tell what is true. Now, I'm not saying we should have less information. I believe that, in the, that more information is always good. I wanna, I wanna know the details. I wanna be able to make an informed decision about things. But just the fact that we have more information doesn't necessarily lead us to the truth. Have you noticed that? Or on the other side, we could hold the view that there are a lot of knuckleheads in the world peddling false narratives, right? And most of the time, it's always those people. You know, the, the knuckleheads, the people that are writing dumb things on the internet, it's always someone else. It's never me. Have you been there? It's like, where do people get this stuff? It's like, this is ridiculous. And then you remember, hey, they're human just like you are. Back in um, college, I told somebody this story a couple weeks ago, and they, they, they told me they were still laughing about it a couple weeks later. So I figured, hey, it must be a good story. I, I'll tell the church so you can laugh about me for a couple weeks. But back in, in college, I had these, it was my senior year, and I had these, these two knucklehead roommates, and they're some of my best friends in the world, but they were goofballs. Everything was a prank all the time. Have you ever, have you ever been there? It's like you got friends in your life that you love them, and then sometimes you just want to punch them. And so these guys, man, we had the, my, my senior year of college was literally like the best year of my life because of these two guys. Their names were Brent and Chris. And so Brent and Chris, like I said, total goofballs. And so one day Brent came in and his mom owned this business in Milwaukee. I was in school in Minneapolis, and, but she owned this business. And so because of her business, uh, a lot of times she had a suite at uh, Miller Park where the brewers play. <clears throat> And so this was Brent's story. He comes in with this baseball. And this baseball had the St. Louis Cardinals logo on it. And if you've come to Mosaic any amount of time, you know I'm a Cardinals fan, forgive me. But um, he comes in and, and it's signed. And, he's, and he's, so he tells me, dude, my mom was at the game. She got to meet Mark McGuire. She got this ball signed. And I know how much of a Cardinal fan you are. And so I told her that my roommate's a Cardinal fan. And so here, she wanted you to have this ball. And I'm like, dude, you're amazing. And, and let me tell you what year it was. This was in 2001. And so uh, this was Big Mac land. You know, Mark McGuire was crushing home runs out of the universe. It was right, at, you know, during the battle of, of McGuire and Sosa. And so it, this was like, are you kidding me? And I hugged him. I'm like, this is amazing. I love you, Brent. I love you, Brent. I love you, Brent. So what do you think I do with the ball? I take the ball and I get one of those cube things that you put the ball in. And so I put the ball in the protective cover never to be opened again. It's like we're gonna suck the oxygen out of that thing and it's gonna be just, just sealed. And it's one of those things like kids don't touch the ball. Anybody ever seen Sandlot with the Babe Ruth ball? Like, so that was kind of me, don't touch the ball. And so the ball goes on the shelf in my office and, and for years and years and years when people come to the office, I'm like, hey, check out my Mark McGuire signed baseball. I'm pretty awesome, right? 
this is how cool I am. I knew somebody that knew Mark McGuire. And so this was the story for years and years and years. And until one day, um, my buddy, who was another prankster in, uh, back in Sandwich, Illinois, is like, oh, man, this is pretty cool. And, um, and he's like, you, 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 this is really Mark McGuire? And I'm like, well, that's what they told me. And for the first time in my life, I thought, I could Google this. And so what do I do? I jump on Google and I type in Mark McGuire's signature. And it comes up and you click the little image button to see all the images of Mark McGuire's signature. And guess what realization I came to? I start cursing Brent's name. Brent! Brent! Turns out this whole time, Brent has been laughing for like 10 years at gullible Joe, who thought he really had a Mark McGuire signed baseball. And so my buddy Derek, who was with me when this realization came to light, he literally laughed at me for the next three weeks every time he saw me. Every time he saw me and he looked at me, he just starts laughing. Why? Because I believed the lie that I had a Mark McGuire signed baseball sitting on my shelf for over a decade. <laughs> Let me just tell you, when you believe something for a long time and then you find out or you have a realization that it's not true, you know, that was just a baseball. It was easy to laugh at myself. And you know, man, the next time I see Brent, um, you know, we'll have some words and, um, and I'll prob probably punch him like we did back in the dorm. Um, you know, when you were kids, you just punch each other in, sh in the shoulder to see how, you know, you know. but anyway. So, it wasn't Mark McGuire. I believed a lie. But what if it was something really important in your life? What if? What if it was something that really was the foundation of everything else? Now, sometimes people put faith and trust in their possessions, and those things really mean something to them, and when they're gone, it's like their life crumbles. But no, 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 no. What if it was something that really had to do with the fabric of your faith, the fabric of your life? It was something that, man, if that one thing wasn't true, everything else would just crumble. What if? Think about it. What if there was one thing that was that important for you to believe, and if you believe this one thing, that everything else you needed to, that you needed in life would flow out of that one thing? And I would just submit to you today that the history of mankind hinges on this one word that we're talking about in this series, risen. The history of mankind was changed based on the truth that Jesus Christ is not dead, he's alive. This word, risen, changes everything. And I'm not just being dramatic here. I'm not just, you know, trying to, trying to rile you up for a sermon. I and mean, you think about it. This changes everything. Everything hinges on the fact and our belief that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Because if he didn't, he was just another teacher. He was just another religious leader. And everything that we're doing here is wasted and for naught. Think about it. If this isn't true, then it's just like a relic sitting on our shelf. It's a worthless baseball. 
It is. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. He said, and if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Now, I don't say this to scare you today, but hey, if you're gonna believe something, you better wrestle with it. You better know. You better have something deep down in your soul that is like an anchor so that when, the, when, the, when the, you know, the ship of your life gets tossed and turned in the waves, you know, you don't get knocked off course. And this is the anchor. This is the anchor of your faith. If the resurrection didn't happen, this is all a waste of time. But it did happen. It really happened. And over the next few weeks, we're gonna break down the, the before, the during, the after the resurrection and what it means for you and for me. And so check this out. And this is what we're gonna talk about today. Long before the resurrection happened, Jesus was breaking up the hard grounds of people's hearts, helping them to believe, helping them to believe. And it was a journey. We're gonna see that today. We're gonna see that Jesus spent a lot of time preparing the disciples for what was going to happen that had not yet happened. And as, as we look at how he prepared the disciples, I want you to think about this question for yourself today. What is God preparing me for? What is God preparing you for? Because you're not here just to attend church. You're not here to just check it off the list. God has a plan and a purpose for your life and he's preparing you for something. And that preparation for you started long before you were even conceived in your mother's womb. Isn't that a good thought? He's preparing you just like he prepared them. And as we look at their reactions today, we're gonna see a lot of ourselves. But listen, resurrection isn't just about what Jesus did. It's not just about something we look back to in our faith. It's about what he wants to do through you. Jesus was preparing his disciples. And so let's check it out in, in Matthew 16. And so we're gonna go from Matthew 16 all the way through Matthew 26 and look at some different instances. But we're gonna start in Matthew 16. And so if you wanna grab your notes, if you wanna open up your app and click on the notes there, um, and you can follow along with us today and fill in the blanks. But before we get to the blanks, we're just gonna look at a lot of scripture here real quick. And so before this first text in Matthew 16, 21, Peter had just made the declaration about Jesus that he was the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was a huge deal because Jesus said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Not who does other people say, who do you say that I am, right? And Peter made this declaration. Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter. He said, on this rock, I'm gonna build my church. Not on Peter per se, but on the belief that Jesus really was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so remember, this is step one. And, and, and Peter took that step. Very important step. And so right after that, it says that Jesus, in, in verse 21, it says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Now, just imagine this. These disciples, they know Jesus is the son of the living God, but they didn't know this part. 
Peter's first reaction when Jesus began to tell them this was Peter starts to lecture Jesus. It's almost like Jesus got a big head. It's like Jesus told Peter, hey, you know, you're blessed because you believe this and on this rock I'm gonna move my church and maybe Peter started to get a little puffed up. And so when Jesus goes to step two, like, okay, Peter, you believe that I'm the Messiah. Well, hey, here's another one for you to believe. They're gonna kill me and on the third day I'm gonna rise again. And it's almost like that was a little too much for Peter to believe. And maybe you've been there when you sat in church, you're like, I can believe this, these good things that God has, wants to give me. He wants to forgive me for my sins. He wants to take my shame and my guilt away. But oh, some of these other things in God's word, they're just a little too hard to believe. And maybe it's because of your perspective, worldview, upbringing, who knows? But Peter was in that same place, and so he starts to lecture Jesus. He's like, don't talk like that. No, that, that's never gonna happen. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He, this is the, the, the famous part where Jesus looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And, and he wasn't saying Peter was Satan. He was basically saying that, man, what you're saying, how you're tempting me to veer off course, hey, no, I'm not gonna have that in my life. And so the same person that just got told, hey, Peter, on this rock, I'm gonna build my church. The same person Jesus looked at, you know, just moments or hours or days later and said, hey, get behind me, Satan. And that's just like us, right? We've got these high moments, we got these low moments, we got these times where we know exactly what we believe and we got these times where we have questions and doubts. And so, Peter says, you know, or Jesus tells Peter to, no, quit talking like that. No, this is really true. But it was obvious that the disciples knew some stuff. How many of you think you know some stuff about the Bible? It's like you know some things. Maybe you've gone to church for a while. You've heard some things. You've, you've got a few messages under your belt that you've heard. And you're like, I, I know some things. And so the disciples probably felt that way. And, but they, they obviously still didn't grasp everything that Jesus had in store for them because they're fighting back to Jesus on this issue. And we can be like that sometimes too. And so if you go on to uh, through, through the next chapters, the transfiguration happens, which is this, this really cool thing that just Peter, James, and John got to experience where they go up on the mountain with Jesus and, and he's literally transfigured and Moses and Elijah appear on either side of him. And if you're Peter, James, and John, you're like, whoa, mind blown, mind blown. And then as they're headed down the mountain after this, Jesus commanded them. He said, don't tell anybody what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And here there's no, there's no uh, pushback. You know, they've just seen Jesus transform. And so, uh, you know, maybe now they're like, maybe this is true. And then in chapter 17, verses 22 through 23, it says, after they gathered again in Galilee, Jesus told them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. And what does it say this time? And the disciples were filled with grief. And so maybe at this point they're starting to believe it. At first they were like, no, this is never going to happen. No, not you, Jesus. Now it's like they're just getting sad. They're like, seriously? And maybe this is just the point where they, 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 they started to realize that the faith that they imagined, the life that they imagined, wasn't the life that was going to happen. We've all been there in life. Expectations shattered. 
You know, they thought Jesus was going to come set up an earthly kingdom, right? But no, he was coming and set up a heavenly kingdom. The disciples had left everything to follow Jesus. They'd left their jobs. They'd left their livelihood. And they left everything to follow him on a different presupposition. They left him. They left everything because they thought that they were going to have status in this life. That they were going to experience all kinds of blessings in this life. And so when Jesus begins to tell them, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised from the dead. They're like, man, this completely shatters our worldview. And then in Matthew chapter 20, once again, it says, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately and he told them what was going to happen to him. And you think by this point, it's like they've heard it. But how many times has Jesus had to tell you the same thing more than once? And so Jesus says, once again, we're going up to Jerusalem. The son of man is gonna be betrayed to the leading priests and the teacher of the religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Third time. Almost verbatim, same thing. Now, if my parents told me something multiple times, guess why they told me? Because I wasn't getting it, right? Have you ever, your parents ever told you the same thing? And you're like, mom, I heard that. You told me already. Well, hey, she's probably telling you because she knows you ain't getting it. And so Jesus tells them again. And guess what the disciples do this time? They begin to argue about who's going to be on his right and his left in their kingdom. They still didn't get it. Fast forward. Jesus is betrayed. They've already had the Last Supper. He's been arrested. They take him before the council, right? The elders and the leading priests and these people that Jesus had already said he was going to get taken by. And they couldn't find witnesses, so, but two guys showed up and they said this. In, in verse 61, somebody said, this man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Once again, it's a message talking about how he was gonna be raised from the dead. And so not only did Jesus tell the disciples in clear language, but he had told the public in veiled language. And basically, anyone who really wanted to know the truth could have known the truth. But they were all still confused. Now, you and I have the same journey. And like I said at the beginning, it's interesting. We've got all this information. We've got all this knowledge. Now we get to look at the, back at the Bible, and it's like we get to see hindsight 2020. We get to see the whole story from start to finish. How blessed are we? And yet sometimes our faith is shaken. And sometimes we still don't get it. And I'm right there with you. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I have this magic key that I automatically understand every question of life. I don't. Right? And so what do we do with this? What do we do? Here's are the questions that we're gonna ask ourselves today. Because just like Jesus was preparing the disciples, he's preparing you and he's preparing me. 
And so number one question we're gonna ask ourselves, what is God repeatedly telling me that I'm not fully understanding? Man, if you're gonna reflect on something, reflect on this. If you wanna get alone with your Bible and your journal, ask yourself this exposing question, God, what are you trying to tell me over and over and over that I'm not fully understanding? What a great question. And here's what I've learned, church. A lack of understanding is not a problem. A lack of pursuit is. God isn't concerned that you don't understand. He is concerned when you stop seeking him. What, is, what did Jesus say? He said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Keep seeking, keep asking, keep looking for the answers. And when you keep searching, you're gonna find it. And so don't be discouraged if you don't under, understand everything. Just don't stop the search. And so a great question here is, God, what are you telling me that I'm not fully understanding? How many of you know that when God brings a test into your life and he brings a lesson into your life, if you don't pass it, he's gonna, he's gonna look you right in the eyes and he's gonna say, take another lap, right? How many of you have experienced the same test in life over and over and over again? And only after a few times do you look back in hindsight and you're like, oh, God, you've been trying to teach this to me for a long time. Maybe for some of you, the light bulb is going on right now. It's like, oh, so that's why I'm going through this over and over and over and over. And it could be just like the disciples, Jesus is telling you something over and over and over, but we're just not getting it. So a lack of understanding is not the problem, but a lack of pursuit is. And following Jesus should be a continual pursuit of knowing him and understanding his word. You know, isn't it amazing how easily we will accept the consensus of this world, but fight the most direct and straightforward words of God? You ever notice that? Jesus could not have been more clear. It's almost like he slowed down each time and he just said it verbatim over and over and over again. And so God will say things and the apostles and, and you know, when God spoke the scripture through the apostles and the different writers of scripture, they'll say things so explicitly and yet we're like, oh, that's not for me. Oh, that couldn't be. Oh, there's gotta be a different explanation. And we'll accept the consensus of this world in a heartbeat, but fight the most direct and straightforward words of God. Listen. Jesus' life should be all the reason we need to not freak out when following Jesus doesn't keep us in lockstep with the world. Jesus' life and the fact that he is risen, that he said he was gonna be killed and rise from the dead, he said it multiple times to multiple different people, it was prophesied in the Old Testament, and then he actually did it, should be all the reason that we need to know that when God says it, I better listen. And so when we ask ourselves, man, God, it feels like what you're saying is gonna put me in direct conflict with the consensus of this world. Trust him. Trust him. Because what did the Bible say about Jesus? They said he was gonna be despised, he was gonna be rejected. What did the people do? They chose Barabbas. Right? And so don't be so quick to accept the consensus of this world if God is saying something different. 
Another question, you know, in this realm is, do I, not, do I really not understand it or do I not want to accept it? Sometimes, sometimes we give ourselves a pass and we're just like, oh, I just don't understand God's word yet, and so I'm going to live however I want. But I would just ask yourself to really, really, let's, let's search our hearts. Do we really not understand it or do we just not want to accept it? And this could, this could uh, be an umbrella on all kinds of things in life, like moral issues, directional issues, like where you're supposed to go, what you're supposed to do in life, clear commands in Scripture. We have the incredible tendency to want to complicate, to muddy it up, to overthink things. And it's usually to appease our own comfort. And so I just want to encourage you to ask yourself the question, what is God repeatedly telling me that I'm not fully understanding? Listen, if the disciples got to spend 24-7, 365 with Jesus for three years and still didn't get it, or they struggled with accepting it, what makes us think that we have it all figured out? And so no matter how long you've attended church, this is a great posture. Matthew 13, 12 through 13 says, Jesus, this is Jesus talking. He said, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really understand. Right? And so what is Jesus saying? He's basically saying, it's here if you want to understand. It's here if you really want to listen. But if in your heart you really don't want to surrender, if in your heart you really don't want to say, God, here's all of me, not just a part of me, then there's a good chance that you won't fully understand. And so this question of God, what are you, what are you telling me that I'm not understanding has to be accompanied by a heart of surrender. I regularly as a pastor encounter people who are so worried about what they don't know or they're worried about what others don't know. And I would just lovingly encourage you, hey, how about if we just start to be faithful with what we already know? Be faithful with what God has put in your hand. And if you do that, not only will he give you more understanding, he'll give you more responsibility, but the rest will take care of itself. And so just be faithful to what you already have heard and what you already know. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to serve Jesus. You don't have to understand it all. Just trust him. Number two, what's the second question we're gonna ask? Because we know if God was leading the disciples, he's leading us. And so I'm gonna ask God, what parts of my heart do you wanna soften? What parts of your heart does God want to soften? How much of my relationship with Jesus is tainted by things like pride, selfish ambition, my straight up lack of listening because I just don't wanna hear it, my pursuit of material possessions. In Ephesians 4.18, Paul said they, they are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. And so when our hearts get hard because we're not listening, then God wants to try to soften them up again. What's another thing that gets hard if it's not tended to? Soil. Right? This time of year, the soil's pretty soft because there's rain and, and you know, the things are breaking through and, and life is coming forth. But man, come August and the, the sun is on and getting the heat in the day and the, that, 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 that soil that was once soft and, 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 and you could poke your finger right in it, you know, all of a sudden is hard as a rock, right? 
And sometimes our hearts get like that. Our hearts get hard because of the circumstances of life or just we're prideful. And so a lot of times, just when I think I understand, just at the point where I think I get it, I've got it, you know, that's when my heart becomes hard. You know, it's almost like when I know what I believe and I'm I'm so solid in that and I know that, you know, and I almost get this this spiritual pride that I have this this life figured out and I've got the Bible figured out and I've got church figured out and I've got an answer for everything and everybody else is wrong, you know, wrong and I'm right. You know, even as I serve Jesus, a lot of times God's saying, hey, soften your heart. Soften your heart. You know, because I see, I see myself in Peter when Jesus bows, or when Peter bows up to Jesus and is like, no, no, don't talk like this. This will never happen to you. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Right? So what a great question to ask. What parts of my heart, God, do you want to soften still? In Philippians 3, 7 through 11, Paul said it like this. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now... I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness, right? This This is the picture of a soft heart. I don't count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Risen. Risen. And the only way to a resurrection life is when, I, when we say, God, I just want to know you. What's going to save me? What's going to keep me? What's going to carry me through life? Is it, is it going to be how, how well I follow the law or how good people think I am or, or just all these rules and regulations? No, no. I just want my heart to be broken for a relationship with you, God. Jesus, I just want to know you. I count everything else in my life as garbage. I, you know, what my heart is most soft to, most pliable to, most, most moldable for is, is a relationship with you, Jesus. And I love Paul's attitude because he was basically saying, I'll never arrive. I'll never get to the place where I don't need direction or guidance or, or, or challenge. I want to keep a soft heart, right? Number three. And this is the question we've asked ourselves from the beginning. What could God be preparing me for? What could God be preparing me for? Man, what if the disciples would have asked this question more, right? And it's always hindsight 2020. And I, I know looking back in my life, man, what if I would have approached the different seasons of my life with, with, a, with this attitude? Instead of saying, God, why am I here? Why is this happening to me? What if I would have asked, God, what are you preparing me for? Because if I see every day as a preparation, then the bad days don't seem so bad because I know that God is preparing me for something better. If I see, you know, when things don't go my way in life as just, you know, all the devil's out to get me, you know, and and sometimes that could be true. But sometimes those trials and those tribulations in life God's word says that they serve to help me have perseverance. 
They help my roots to grow deep. They help my, my faith to become strong, right? And so what if we had this attitude that every day is a preparation? And I know that if I'm not asking this question, God, what are you preparing me for? Then I'm gonna miss the opportunities because I'm just gonna be so self-centered. Have you ever noticed that, that you just go through a day and it's all about how you were affected and how, how you feel? And, and, it's like, and it's like we go through whole days and, and, and we don't see the opportunities that were put before us to make a difference and to love people and to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus extended to a broken and dying world. God was preparing the disciples for his departure. He was preparing them for the Holy Spirit. He was preparing them for the spread of the gospel throughout the whole world. But it was a journey. And I hope that encourages you today that you stay in preparation mode till the day you die. It never ends. God, keep working on me. Keep molding me. Keep shaping me. Help my hands to stay like this. God, the moment that I just start to grip everything so tightly and keep it all to myself and just be like so concerned about me, mine, and ours, God, God, help me to just open my hands again and say, God, what are you preparing me for? In Ephesians 2.10, it says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Remember I told you at the beginning, he's preparing you for something. He's preparing you for something. Some of you, you've, you've gone through so much life that you're like, oh, my life's wasted. I screwed it all up. I messed it all up already, God. You know, there's nothing you can do through me. Man, take heart today. He's still preparing you for something. He still wants to do stuff in your life. Just because you made some bad choices and just because I made some bad choices doesn't negate the future impact that God wants to have through my life doesn't. What does Ecclesiastes eleven six 6 encourage us to do? It says, sow your seed in the morning and at the evening, let your hands not be idle. Sow your seed in the morning and the evening, don't let your hands be idle. Basically saying, hey, you've got a job every day. You've got a job every day. And on the Sabbath, your job is to rest. But on all the other days, your job is to make a difference. Make a difference. God's preparing you for something. I love what Mark Batterson says. He says, if you don't enjoy life now, then you won't enjoy it then. If you don't enjoy life here, then you won't enjoy it there. And basically it's just saying, hey, if you're gonna let life be determined by your circumstance instead of what God put you here for, you're never gonna find purpose and joy. You're never gonna be happy. But if you have this attitude that, God, you're preparing me for something. God, you're doing something in me. God, you're working in my life. It changes everything. And so how do you enjoy life? How do you treat every day like a preparation? How do you treat every day with purpose? First of all, you could treat every day like it's, like it's your last, because it could be. And I don't say that to, we're not, we're not here to manipulate or scare or anything like that, but it's reality. Today can be my last day. And so if it were, how can I make the most of it, right? Another thing I, I, I do to just kind of try to encourage myself sometimes is, hey, I can, do the, I can do the right thing for one day. I can do anything for one day. And so how about I just do it today? How about I do my best day today, and then tomorrow I'll do it again? Because we can do anything for a day, right? 
And some of you just need a little bit of encouragement. It's like you've given up, you've stopped sowing your seeds, you've let yourself be idle, you've let yourself get a little bit spiritually lazy. Another way to enjoy life is just to put first things first. Spend your time with Jesus, get in his word, sit at his feet, be in his presence. It's the only way to really have life. And if you're not doing that, it's gonna trickle down to everything else in life. Another way to enjoy life is to remember that the pain of regret is way worse than the pain of self-discipline. Keep that in front of you. I don't want to get to the end and have a life full of regret. And so it's gonna be way less painful to be disciplined in my life now and to be disciplined with my emotions now and to ask God these hard questions now than to wonder later why I didn't, right? And then lastly, just strategically position your life in a way that Jesus can lead you. What does that mean? Some of us have just taken Jesus out of our calendar. We've got no time with him. We've got no time in his word. We've got no time serving other people. We've got no time. And yet, we sit around all the time, and I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. Hey, pause and strategically position yourself in a way that Jesus can lead you again, that he can lead you again. And then just continually ask yourself, God, what are you preparing me for? What are you asking me or telling me over and over and over? And just like the disciples, I'm just not getting it, right? Maybe God is preparing you for a complete and total transformation and it's just right around the corner. Hold on. Maybe he's, he's preparing you for a new commitment. Maybe your job is gonna change, maybe it won't. Maybe God wants you to, have, have, to actually live out your purpose in your current job. Whatever it is, he's preparing you for something. Maybe he's preparing you to start telling your story to some neighbors or some friends or, or to a family member that needs to hear what's really going on in your heart. Maybe God's preparing you for something. Are you asking what it is? Amen. We started out today, you know, talking about how in this information age, there's a lot of things to believe, but there's only one thing that everything hinges on. And it's this fact that Jesus raised from the dead. And so, are you ready? to accept that fact into your heart because this is what it comes down to. I'm gonna believe that Jesus died for me, that he rose again from the dead. I'm gonna put faith and trust in him. And the Bible says that when you believe, when you believe that Jesus died for you, that he rose again, you put your life in his hands, you're gonna be saved. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So if you could bow your heads and close your eyes today, if that's you today and you'd like, to, you'd like to take step one and believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you wanna get your belief in the right place. If that's you today and you say, hey, I wanna put my trust in Jesus today, just raise your hand, I wanna pray with you. This is your chance to, to believe, amen, amen. Thanks for raising your hand. Anybody else? Say amen, awesome, amen. A couple people. Uh, are giving their lives to Jesus today. Isn't that awesome, church? We're gonna pray this prayer of commitment with them. And so I'm gonna say a prayer. If you could just repeat after me and everybody, all the believers in the room and those of you that are accepting Christ today, let's all pray this together. Let's say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I believe you died for me. 
I believe you rose again. Help me to live for you, to put you first, to follow your word the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. Let's give him a hand today. Amen. Hey, man, we're going to continue to journey through the resurrection this month and, and even after that. And so be praying. Make this a part of your prayers this week. God, what are you preparing me for? And invite somebody to Easter. Let's, let's get our friends and our neighbors and our family here, right? And, and let's look forward. Next week, we're, next Sunday, we're going to talk about Jesus' death. And so prepare your heart. Prepare your heart. We don't just think about this and talk about this on, uh, you know, Good Friday and Easter. We talk about this all the time. It should be the driving and motivating factor of our life. Amen. And so be here next week and the weeks to come for the Risen series. A couple uh, things before you leave. Remember the work day this Saturday. Uh, there's a women's night. If you're a lady, uh, sign up. It's April 29th, the last Friday night of this month. It'll be right here in this room. You ladies will be around tables getting to know each other. We'll have a special lady speaker. It's just going to be a great night of fellowship and super low-key easy. And so if you're a lady that is like, oh, I don't know where to fit in or, or get to know some people, be here that night. You're going to meet people. You're going to have plenty of time to talk and get to know each other. We'll have some desserts and some snacks. And it's just going to be super low-key, get to know you kind of night uh, with a devotional. Um, you're going to love it. And then also, um, if you're a youth, youth camp is coming up in the summer, so uh, think about that and get that on your calendar. Um, and then if it's your first time with us, fill out your Connect card, fill it out on the way out, or, or, or drop it in the bucket on the way out. We'd love to connect with you with you this week. And once again, thanks for coming. On the back of the Connect card, if you have a prayer need, write that down. We'd love to get on the prayer chain and, and have our team pray for you uh, this week. And then last but not least, um, if you... Are, um, uh, if you'd like to continue worshiping God with your giving, you can do so as you leave today. Can I just tell you, thank you for your generosity. Uh, man, amazing things are happening in our kids' ministries, in our youth ministries, in our life groups, in Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday nights, and life change happens here at Mosaic Church uh, because of your investment. You know, when you put God first in your giving and with your tithes and your offerings, um, God takes that and he multiplies it for his kingdom work. And God has been so faithful to our church and, and faithful to, to, to take us where he's going. And we're just thankful for that. And so if you want to put God first in every area of your life, including your finances, uh, you can do so as you leave today, or you can give online uh, through a bunch of different ways. And so check that out. If you need any help, let us know. But thanks. Thank you for your generosity. Uh, the kids appreciate it. The youth appreciate it. Um, and uh, the people that are, whose lives are being changed say thank you. Amen. Amen. Let's pray and you'll be dismissed. God, I thank you so much for your church. God, as we give back to you today, just let it go to do amazing things for you and your kingdom. And we'll just give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you need prayer today, there'll be some prayer partners out up front. You are dismissed. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us online at Mosaic Church. We hope today's message was life-changing and useful. For more info, visit mosaiccincinnati.com.